I think that student engagement is something that online learning has really, really forced most of us to re-examine. You know, how, how are we keeping our kids able to follow and confident enough to be able to continue? That was Vidula Plant, a middle school teacher in Massachusetts, as she joined me on the premiere episode of Get Schooled with Mr. S. Over the course of this podcast, I will be joined by folks in education like Vidula. We discussed remote teaching and learning, including its challenges and its legacy. So let's get schooled as we are joined by Vidula Plant, coming up next. When I got into the podcast game, I had no idea what I was doing. I needed advice, someone to bounce ideas off of, and someone to handle all the back-end production work. Bearcat Group helped guide me through the process. They worked with me on the feel of the show, rundowns, and helped set up all the equipment in my house. They even helped me create my show's artwork and social handles. I was in good hands with the team at Bearcat Group. They really worked hard to make me feel comfortable. Bearcat Group offers experienced editors and engineers, professional producers, and a totally virtual production process. 24-hour turnaround time on recordings, publishing, and distribution options. They even have equipment you can rent if needed. Now that Get Schooled with Mr. S is up and running, they produce, edit, and publish the podcast, leaving me just to worry about the content of the show. If you are looking to start an audio or video podcast, check them out, bearcatgroup.com, and speak with them about your vision, and they'll make it happen. That's bearcatgroup.com. They make podcasting easy. Vidula, welcome to Get Schooled. Thanks for having me, Keith. Today's topic is remote learning and teaching. I was wondering, Vidula, if you could just give a brief uh, description of your kind of career as an educator, and then we'll launch into some changes that have happened in the COVID era. Sure. So I started teaching in Ontario uh, in 1990s. And um, I taught for two years in a school system there, and then I moved to Massachusetts, redid my credentials, and I've been teaching here for 21. So I've been in education for about 23 years, and the last year has felt a lot like being a new teacher. And I'd like you to take the audience back to March of 2020. What was your initial reaction when COVID-19 had the shutdown of schools? First, it seemed to be temporary. What was your initial reaction to that change? So I remember the last day of school. It was a Thursday. Um, Friday the 13th is when our schools shut down. And I remember that Thursday that I was thinking that I should get what groceries I need, um, get ready to be home for maybe a month. Um, And we had a staff meeting at the end of the day, uh, and the principal reminded us that we should take home anything that we feel we might need to take home. And then that night, we got the call saying that school was canceled. And that initially, it was going to be for uh, a weekend or for a few days. And then that was extended out further and then further still till the end of the year. Um, And I remember just being astounded. I mean, nobody was prepared to teach remotely it's different from the things we do in person. And um, it felt like doing a lot of catch up as Department of Ed. Um, and then our central office uh, kind of absorbed whatever the new information was and 
then we got the information about what we were going to do. In the beginning of the remote learning, I think everyone was caught off guard. Uh, but there wasn't, it seemed to be that the objection to the format was the fact that there wasn't enough live teaching. And did you change your teaching methods um, because of that feedback? Or how did you approach the first wave of remote teaching in the spring? So the first wave of remote teaching was what it was because of how the Department of Ed guided us. And I think that COVID for, for many reasons and in many ways has kind of shone a light into uh, areas, uh, inequities, uh, things that maybe we need to investigate more, uh, not just in education, but in other, um, other places. But the first concern seemed to be synchronous classes would privilege people who had access to tech and who owned tech. So Department of Ed uh, said initially that it was to be review only and uh, there seemed to be some, you know, optional attendance, um, you know, kind of like enrichment work is what um, the instruction we got for the first few weeks. So I put together a menu board um, inspired by some colleagues who teach in other schools. And that's initially what I put up. It certainly wasn't the teaching that I was used to. It wasn't even the teaching that I necessarily wanted to be doing, but we were responding to the instructions from Department of Ed and, you know, the primary concerns about equity and, and also um, not just access, but this was a pandemic and there might be people who are out because their parents are ill or grandparents are ill. We really, you know, can't be expecting the same learning readiness from all students. And we weren't really equipped to think through how to deal in a pandemic. It, it, it certainly caught everybody off guard. I think that's true. What I found in the March through June, there was a consensus that schools needed to be closed for safety. But then the summer hit and COVID subsided somewhat. And then I think the real conflict um, occurred in the fall where individual districts had to make a choice to go remote, to go all in, to go partially in. And then it seemed the opposition for remote learning seemed to intensify in the fall. Did you get a sense of that uh, opposition to the remote learning format? I think that what happened in March through June um, shaped a lot of the um, expectations that, that and fears that people had about what might happen in the fall. So um, essentially, the enrichment eventually gave way to review. And then the review um, in May and June gave way to permission to um provide new instruction, uh, but that was still happening at our district level, at least at, um, you know, in the weekly format where classes weren't, you know, scheduled like a regular day. And I think a lot of parents were very concerned about seeing a year of instruction in that format. And so there was a lot of backlash about the quality and rigor of instruction. And um, so in the fall, we came in with a full remote schedule and some parents and people concerned about the lack of in-person learning. And I think that was probably the biggest friction, you know, trying to deal with the pandemic and the changing healthcare landscape, along with trying to provide a quality education and define what that means during a pandemic. 
And I would imagine another factor in play is the age of the student, because um, the ability of a 17-year-old to take a lesson on a computer would vary differently from a five-year-old. And I think I agree. I would agree with you. And I think that the level of um, assistance required in the home uh, would definitely vary depending on the age and the learning profile of the student. And so um, parents who were also um, often working from home um, were called on to do perhaps more than they would in a typical school year. And well, definitely more than they would do in terms of education, because in the typical school year, their child would be in the classroom. Um, and I think that it was particularly difficult for parents who were first responders or who um, were reporting to work. They were essential workers. And so um, if their children were younger, they had uh, a dilemma um, of whether they could do their job or look after their child if the school was closed. And um, if their children were older, the supervision dilemma remained. Putting my parent hat on for a second, I opted out for my two daughters of uh, in-person instruction. So they're taking a five-day remote option. I'm not going to sit here and argue that remote instruction is superior to in-person, but I was concerned about the uh, health issues of possible quarantine, wearing masks. Um, the, the day would not look the same. Did you have any concerns just as a parent of with the return to in-person? Yes, I had I had many concerns. And um, my oldest was starting her first year of college as she opted to attend remotely. Um, I fully supported that decision. Um, my son attends a local vocational technical school, and they provided options of a completely separate remote program or a hybrid program. And after consulting with him, we spoke with the school, we selected the hybrid program because that was that would give him access to the teachers at the school and the programs at the school. However, the numbers um, as they rose um, really kind of changed how we approached his attendance. And we had some conversations with the school um, given the nature of some high-risk um, people my son uh, has at home. So I think that on the parent side, it's really, really difficult to make any of these decisions uh, without looking very closely at individual family structures, needs, and health risks. Um, and I think that I think that that discussion of remote versus um, in person is almost a secondary discussion um, to the private needs of every family. And in some cases, I felt like people are arguing for their need, but not necessarily looking at everybody's. Everybody's story is different, and that's mm -hmm. what makes this situation so challenging. I'd like to shift gears a little bit. I know from my perspective, with the transition into the remote format, I would try to envision the class as it looked in person and think about what adaptations I could make for it to be successful in the remote format. How did you go, how did you approach, especially when it transitioned to live teaching? What, what shifts uh, did you make from the in-person to the remote, but live with the students? Yeah, that's a great question. I, so I thought about it in two ways. I thought about the practices I had when I taught in the classroom, um, and then how those could translate uh, to the remote platform. So for example, um, in my class, we do a lot of project-based learning. Um, students work in groups. 
how would group work look in a remote format? And of course, PD was really important there because I was learning the platforms of Zoom. I was learning about Pear Deck. Um, I was learning about many of the digital support devices and, and programs um, that I had perhaps heard about and used casually, but not necessarily used fully. Um, in addition to that, there were certain things that we were already using in the classroom that translated over really well. So um, our district's uh, devotion to Google Classroom and other Google apps for education that we had been using in person uh, translated over well. The kids didn't really miss a beat because they were used to the format of Google Classroom, how to join a class. Adding and learning about the breakout rooms in Zoom and learning how to use them, that was something wonderful. What else? Oh, the second, I said I approached it in two ways. So one was, you know, how can I adapt what I'm doing with the digital and remote format? The second thing I thought about is, what can remote give me? What can I do that I maybe couldn't do if I were in person? Um, and so some of the things that I found were really great were being able to gain back a lot of time in because the transitions, physical transitions were absent. And so in the in terms of instructional time, uh, there was gain where we could spend more time discussing something. And then at the end of a class, I could have a student stay and help them directly. Or I could put two students in a breakout room and they could work with each other in a quiet space. For kids in a classroom, sometimes it gets too noisy for them to focus. Um, some kids like group work. Some kids are distracted by it. And so having breakout rooms uh, available for independent work during the lesson. Um, some students were able to ask for going to an, in, going to their own breakout room, um, which is something that, you know, I can't, I can't in a, in a regular class, um, give each kid their own room to work in. So that was really special. The other thing I think is re reaching out to peers to see how things were being done, not just at my school but connecting with um, people through professional groups I was in or, or friends I had made um, through other um, contacts across the state, across the country. That was super helpful. One of the chief complaints I see on social media from parents opposed to the remote format is that their students have, for lack of a better word, checked out. The management of students who are not engaged or under-engaged is challenging in remote learning. How does that differ from an in-person classroom? And what do you do to try to remedy that? Yeah, so that's such a great question. And I think that, you know, these are really valid concerns. Um, in a regular classroom, if there's a student whose attention wanders, and of course, our, you know, we're wired, our attention isn't 100% there through an entire day for anything. Human beings are wired that way. It's easier to notice or it's easier to use proximity to cue. Um, on the online um, platform, I used the chat box um, a lot for um, kind of uh, dipstick type questions. So at the beginning of class, I would ask something uh, that was something I wanted to know that helped me with formative assessment, but also that students wanted to, would like to answer. And then um, through the class several times, I would ask them to pop something in the chat box to give an example of something or if they've experienced something. And I survey my students all the time. Um, I use Google Forms, but I found the Zoom poll feature and the chat box feature really helpful with engagement. Um, 
Another thing uh, I did, and I do, did that in my regular classroom, there were some things that didn't change. So, so one thing I did in my regular classroom is with project-based learning, students often share, help each other. Um, we have um, sessions where we talk about things that are going well, things that are going wrong. We try to help each other. Um, and so the Zoom platform uh, allowed for that. And I found that breakout rooms um, kept kids more engaged if they were ready to go into them. Sometimes we would have that dilemma of a kid is kind of checked out. Everyone else has been put in a breakout room and the student's still there. Um, that could be because of a tech issue or it could be because of an attentional issue. Um, I really like the way our district structured our time because we had 15 minutes of non-screen time for students in between our classes. Um, that 15 minutes of non-screen time let me help kids. It also let me, at the end of a class, send a quick email to a student and the parent to reach out and say, oh, by the way, I noticed in class today, um, you know, we went to breakout rooms, but you were still in the, you know, in the large room. Is it a tech issue? Is everything okay? Just so that we are being supportive, right? Like this Zoom, um, Zoom remote, the platform is only part of what's happening in a child's day and in a child's life as they try to navigate remotely. So trying to be available in a different way, I, I found was helpful. And I think um, teachers have tried to understand, yes, this is a pandemic. I know from personal experience, I'm not giving maybe the amount of work. I'm trying to be more selective uh, in what I'm assigning, still assessing and still trying to hit those important learning points. Uh, did you make any major adjustments to your curriculum uh, in the full remote format? Um, I changed some of the things that I would do in, um, in terms of how kids access resources. So my class is, a, like I've said, is a project-based learning class. And in my physical classroom, I would have all sorts of content options for students to explore, um, be they books or be they props for skits or um, other kinds of materials. And I would have um, process options, like they could work on their own or with others, and then final product options. So if they wanted to, they could produce a green screen, green video, they could do um, a recording of themselves reading a story. I mean, they're there, or they could, you know, write something or create a, a slideshow. Um, <clears throat> I had to really rethink um, the resources part, especially because the physical books and the choose your own adventure and the, and the, and the skit props, they weren't available. So um, I ended up changing uh, my veterans project from a menu of options to three or four specific options. So the options are still there because I believe that student choice is really essential to not just learning, but student engagement. But I, I had to revamp a number of things. And it really felt like being a first year teacher all over again, because every night I was re-examining you know, how the materials worked, whether I needed to add something, students who needed support, you know, how to best support them. And because I want the principles of UDL, Universal Design for Learning, which, which allows students to access things uh, visually, uh, in writing, and um, through um, video, you know, so different ways to access. Because I wanted the principles of UDL in place, it was really, really difficult to think about how to provide an article 
and have it read aloud or where I could find resources that, that supported what I would provide in the classroom. But I look at uh, from this remote format, I, before COVID, there was a part of me that said, hmm, will teachers be replaced by robots or automated um, beings in the future? And I've come out of that answer with no. I think partly due to the public opposition, um, some student lack of engagement. But what do you see as the legacy of remote learning? What 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 will stay when COVID is under control at some point in the hopefully not too distant future? I see uh, one of the legacies I hope will be identifying what's essential and identifying what the key understandings are that students need to have. Um, and then building experiences around them. I, I, I would love to see that continue. I think we do that in education. Uh, a second piece is I think that student engagement, you know, bringing a student there and then trying to ensure that they're attending to the lesson. Um, I think that student engagement is something that online learning has really, really forced most of us to reexamine. You know, how, how are we keeping our kids able to follow and confident enough to be able to continue. Um, so the other thing is that during this time, many districts um, have either purchased or ma had made available to them all sorts of different kinds of programs. For example, um, Newzella made uh, a number of things free for teachers, and there was several other, other groups that, that did that. So I think that leveraging digital work um, is something I'd like to see stay. But I think that being aware of how much is being done digitally versus what's done on paper is also um, important. And there have been several uh, several tools uh, like Kami and Google Draw that allow students to collaborate together on a document or produce something on a document. Uh, I think that's that's good. I think it's also good to be able to have students write something or draw something and upload it. So just, you know, how much students are spending um, on how much time they're spending on screen and the quality of what they're getting for that time is something that I hope we continue to examine. Well, I think the legacy of remote learning will be uneven. I think there's been some breakthroughs, some accomplishments. But when you hear some of the negative feedback about it as well, I think that speaks to, as you say, individual concerns and, and every family is different, every learner is different. So I think no matter what format you're using, teachers have to account for the different styles and learning. In some ways, it's similar to the classroom. I agree. And I, I have to say, I don't think that a robot will ever completely replace a teacher because the art and the craft of teaching is so complex because you're delivering material that you're sifting and sorting to learners, right? We're not just teaching curriculum, we're teaching students, and each student is different. And that that difference change, changes daily. I mean, what a student brings to the table emotionally each day can be different. And so, you know, trying to trying to look at who we're serving, and then consider what we're serving. It's, it's, too complex at this time, I think, for me to exam to imagine that a robot, it's not, it's not a cut dried logarithm. And I don't think it ever will be. 
Well, craft is a great word, Vidula. I thank you so much for sharing your insight about your craft and remote learning. And we're all in a challenging time and um, appreciate you joining us here on Get School today. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. Once again, I'd like to thank my longtime friend and colleague, Vidula Plant, for joining us today. That's a wrap for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you are enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Today's show was produced and edited by the Bearcat Group. Music by Patrick Patricios. Thanks for listening to Get Schooled with Mr. S. See you next time.